Our scripture this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and miss, who are my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to come to an agreement in the Lord. Yes, I am asking also you, loyal friend, to help these women who have struggled together with me in the ministry of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the scroll of life. Be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds safe in Christ Jesus. From now on, brothers and sisters, if anything is excellent, if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely, and all that is worthy of praise. Practice these things, whatever you have learned, received, heard, or saw in us. The God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we're at the point in our uh, working through Philippians where Paul has kind of moved from lofty matters to practical matters. Um, It's all connected and it's all germane to everything else, right? There's nothing wasted and nothing uh, just out of left field in this particular letter. Paul has written it very carefully and Paul has written it very intentionally. But but he kind of turns his head from sort of the lofty things he's talked about, from having the mind of Christ and the working out of that and how that may look in the lives of believers to, to some very practical matters amidst the community to which he is writing. And sometimes we forget that, that Paul is writing in, in his letters to specific communities with specific needs, very specific struggles and very specific joys. And so Paul kind of turns his head here in, in, in chapter 4 as, as he begins chapter 4 to this very, very practical matter of two women in the church named Yodia and Syntyche. Now, we don't know much beyond anything, in fact, beyond what we have here about these two women. We know nothing beyond what we have here about the occasion that that causes Paul to bring up these two people by name. We don't know what, if anything, they are arguing about. What what it seems to, as we're reading, at least on its face value in English, is that Paul is, is addressing two people who have a very significant quarrel with one another. Now, I I suspect that um, this is more than just a minor tiff or a minor disagreement. Um, Parchment was expensive back then, and you didn't waste ink. And and so clearly something is going on that Paul feels the need to address in this public letter and in this public way between Yodia and Syntyche. Again, we we don't know what the argument was. It's probably not the color of the carpet. Right? Those aren't minor questions, but they don't generally raise to public address in a Pauline letter. So it's probably something very, very significant. And so Paul turns kind of his mind from, from the loftier matters to, to a very specific example of, of where people are not having the mind of Christ together. 
The words that Paul uses, he says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind. Now, as we've read through and listened to Philippians, we've heard Paul use this language before, right? Right? Having you the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Right? When, he, when he's making that address to the people at Philippi, he says, I want you to think in this way. When you regard others, I want you to have this in your mind as you're dealing with one another. I want this to be in your mind. And, and so Paul is bringing this, this up and saying, I urge Yodi and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind. So again, likely what we're dealing with is not simply a difference of opinion, but a deep, deep division that represents something that is not aligned in between them, between them, whatever it might be, with the mind of Christ. So, so we don't know exactly what's going on. Maybe, maybe there's an instance of where, where they're not submitting in love to one another. Where, where one is, is perhaps asserting their own way, right or wrong as it may be, and, and, and there is friction, and it's causing division and fracture. Now, if you ever have the idea that interpersonal conflict does not affect the whole, this is a good example where Paul reminds us. Paul would not address it in a public letter like this if it wasn't something that affected the whole. But Paul, Paul of, you all are the body of Christ, believes that there is something vitally important about the unity of the body and the same mind of Christ. And so when something like this comes up, again, we don't know what it is, but we know it's big. When a division like this comes up, Paul is serious about addressing it. And so he says, I urge Yodia, I urge Syntyche, have the same mind. In fact, this is so important that Paul directly addresses someone who we haven't heard about before. He says, my, my loyal companion, my loyal co-worker, um, the actual word in the Greek is yoke fellow, right? Um, I, I urge you to help these women. Again, what Paul's not saying is those silly women are having a fight. What he's saying is there is a huge division that is happening in the church, and it's a problem. And so I urge you, you who are my companion, you who are working with me, to help them. He doesn't say rebuke them. He doesn't say mediate. He says help them to have the same mind. Again, I, I believe that when we hear that same mind language, we are supposed to be hearing the mind of Christ. Not just that they would agree. Because having the mind of Christ doesn't mean we agree all the time, but it, but it means that, that we are formed in the same way so that our, our, we're able to go in the same direction and move ahead despite disagreements. And so Paul says, help them have the same mind. But, but Paul brings up something very, very interesting. He, he calls them co-workers in his mission. So, so Yoda and Satiki aren't just, uh, aren't just, they aren't simply women in the church. As, as important and wonderful as the women in the Philippian church were, but, but, but as Paul describes them, they, they are co-workers with him. They have some share in this mission of the gospel in the world. They have worked with him in some way. We, we don't know how. Again, they, their names never come up again. But that they are co-workers in the mission of the gospel. So I can read that two ways. I can go, well, every person is Paul's co-worker in the mission of the gospel, right? We are all co-workers in mission of the gospel, which means none of us is more important, none of us less important. We all have a mission in the gospel. It could be that Paul is addressing this more technically, that, that they have sort of an apostolic function within the church. 
right? Paul is an apostle. He is sent. He goes to other places. He proclaims the gospel. I mean, currently he's in prison, so, but he's proclaiming the gospel even there. So, so he has this apostolic function, this sentness function, where he is sent by the church to do these things. It's quite possible, based on the language, based on everything we know about this situation, that that is the same function that Yodi and Satiki have as well, that they are also sent sort of in this sort of official role of the church as co-workers, and Paul says it's so vitally important that all of us, as we go out, as we, as we engage the gospel where we are, and as we preach the gospel where we are, that we are as, having the same mind. And that we're on the same page. And that we're not dividing, but rather uniting for the sake of the gospel in the world. And so he says, I, I urge you to, to help them. Right? Help, help them get together. Help them to, to come to an agreement. Help them to have the same mind so that, so that we can all be pulling together. When, when there is division in the church, it does not help the gospel. Again, division is not disagreement. Disagreement is okay. We disagree with one another about lots of different things. We can disagree without dividing. What Paul seems to address here is something that is divisive somewhere in Allah, what he talks about in 1 Corinthians, you know, I follow Paul, I follow Paul, so it's causing divisions in the church. And that is harmful to the vision of the gospel in the world. That makes the Spirit's job harder, if you will. Again, not disagreement. We will disagree. And that's not wrong, and that's not bad. When we divide over it, that's a bigger deal. And so Paul is saying, I, I urge them to come together. To, to come together and to be of one mind. And then Paul kind of leaves that, and he moves on. Again, this is all connected, but, but this, this particular passage seems a little bit more scattered than the rest of the book. So, so Paul moves on, and, and, and he begins to, again, call the Philippians to joy. We might call this a gospel of joy, like it's an epistle of joy, because Paul talks about joy probably here more than we hear it anywhere else in the scriptures. I mean, this concentrated use of, of joy, make my joy complete, be joyful always, rejoice, again to say rejoice, right? All of this, Paul says this a lot, and, and it's not insignificant that Paul is saying these things from prison, right? It's always important to keep the context in which Paul is writing to the Philippians to have joy. Because if Paul was, you know, I don't know, you know, cruising down Main Street in Rome and, and life is good, you know, and, and said have joy, we're like, well, yeah, Paul, you're living, living the life, right? Everything's good for you. But we remember that Paul is writing and he's encouraging joy and he's, he's saying have joy, be joyful always in the midst of what were not great circumstances for Paul. Prison's bad. Roman prison, I've heard, is really bad. Right? It, it, it's not a place anyone wants to be. It, it's, it, it's lonely. It's dingy. You're chained. Right? It, it's bad. Paul is in a horrible, horrible situation. Looking around him, if we were just sort of objectively say, is Paul in a good situation or a bad situation? We'd say bad, horrible. Not only is he in prison, but he didn't do anything to deserve being in prison. He is in prison simply for proclaiming the gospel. And that's the short of it. Things are bad for Paul. And Paul, above anyone, could have said, woe is me. This is terrible. I'm being persecuted. I'm, I'm, I'm just being dumped on. Where's God? And, and he could be sad. He could be glum. He could be Eeyore, right? Some of you won't get that reference. But 
right? He could just be, tut tut, looks like rain. Just bad. And yet, what does Paul encourage and what does Paul demonstrate by his own words and his own actions? Rejoice, joy. I think it's important to note that Paul is not Pollyanna, right? He is not simply saying, you know, everything's good all the time. Life is awesome. Everything is awesome, right? He's not saying that. Paul is not denying the reality of the world around him. Paul knows things are bad, right? He's in prison. It's not hard to see that. But but what Paul is saying is that there is something that motivates him beyond the present circumstance and even the negative he sees around him. There is something that enables him to, despite what is bad, despite what is horrible, and even acknowledging what is bad and what is horrible, to yet have joy. And and this leads Paul into talking about, about what happens when he sees anxiety in the world. And, and what he encourages those who are experiencing anxiety about the world. Now, I, I want to just make a distinction. He's probably not talking about clinical mental health anxiety. He's talking about this obsession with things that are wrong. Right? There's a difference between that, the things we can control, and, and sort of the clinical anxiety. So I just want to make that distinction because it's important, because we should seek mental health when we can. Right? But, but, but what Paul is saying is we can look around and, and we can see all the things are wrong. We can look in our own right lives and focus on the things that worry us. And there are things that worry us. If there's not things that worry you, um, that's great. But I don't know anybody who doesn't look around and say there is something, there's something wrong, either in the world sense or in my life sense. Right? It, it, anxieties may come from, from money. Anxiety might come from from being in dangerous situations. There are people in Gaza and people in Israel right now who are experiencing a great deal of anxiety because the world is literally coming down in their heads. Right? That can be the anxiety we're feeling. It could be anxiety about, about family members, about children, about parents. Could be anxieties about our health could be just generalized existential, like the, the, the weariness of existence. Like it can be all, all this worry and anxiety and we can be overwhelmed by that. It would be easy to be overwhelmed by anxiety right now. And, and we're not talking just in the clinical sense. We're talking like just in the real sense of looking at the state of the world and the things around us, even feeling it in our own lives. But Paul says... And this is intimately connected with joy. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, again, I want to make this, I think the anxious is the obsessive worry. Do not be anxious about anything. But when you are, when you feel yourself going down that road, when you have those things that feel overwhelming, he says, present your request to God. In prayer and in supplication and in thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I think he uses it in in this way, right? We are burdened by the anxieties of the world. And I think as Christians, that can be even more so because we begin to see injustice around us, which makes us feel anxiety because there is injustice in our world. And sometimes that injustice is so great that we don't know what to do about it. I don't know what to do about Israel-Gaza right now. 
I, I don't. I, I, I don't know how to help. But I, it's a terrible situation. I, I don't know what to, about, what to do about Russia, Ukraine right now. It is a horrible situation. But I don't know what I can do about it. I could worry about that obsessively. I could let it keep me up at night. But Paul says we have another option. As those who are in the church, we have another option because we believe that the world is bigger than just kind of what we see with our eyes. And we believe that the scope of history is longer than what's happening right at this moment. And we believe that there is a bent towards justice, the justice of God. We believe in a world that, that we see in, in Isaiah and in Revelation where the world is made new. We hear about Isaiah, right? Isaiah talks about, and they will come to the Lord's mountain, and they, God will establish justice. And they will come to the Lord, and, and he will be the one who teaches, and we will learn war no more. Swords, plowshares, spears, and pruning, pruning hooks, right? This is the vision that we have as the church. This is the, the vision of the kingdom of God, and, and we wait for that and believe that there is a God who is bringing all things to that foregone conclusion, and so when we feel the oppressive anxiety about the personal things or the world things, Paul says, we have a place to go with that anxiety. He says, present your requests to God. Because we have a fundamental and deep belief that there is a God who cares about these things. That we are not just a speck in an infinite universe, but that we are created in God's image and have relationship with the God of the universe. That even if we are a speck in an infinite universe, we have a God who sees us, not just as a part, but as a person, deeply loved. We have a God who desires our good, who desires our wholeness. So when the weight of anxiety oppresses on us, Paul says, Present your request to God. And he says, the God of peace will be with you. You will receive the peace that passes all understanding. It will rule in your hearts, he says. Now, I suspect I have one or more people in here who could probably testify feeling this at some point in their life. Where the weight of a, of a worry, the weight of an anxiety was so great. And yet after prayer, after submitting it to God, it wasn't that the thing was better or even different, but that there was a peace. Again, that not even that things would all be better, but that God would be with us. I've been there. Sometimes I've gotten there purely through prayer. Sometimes I've gotten there purely through prayer and therapy, right? But but in the end, it's always this peace that comes only from, from the Spirit of God at work in, in us to remind us that there is a grander vision than we can even see. That, that our needs are important, that our prayers are important, that they are heard, and that there is a God working behind the scenes in ways we can't even see. Think about Paul's situation for a moment. He's in prison. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's suffering. And it's not the first time. 
And depending on where we are in the timeline, we're not entirely sure of Paul's life, but it's not the last time. It is the gospel that will get him killed, ultimately. We remember that Paul says, in the midst of even that, I can present my request to God and say, I believe God will work for my freedom. I believe this will end. I believe that I will be justified, he says earlier in the letter. That I will be shown to be right in my defense of the gospel. Not denying the things that are wrong, but saying in the midst of things that are wrong, through prayer and supplication, God is able to bring a peace that is beyond explanation. Where someone might say, why are you so joyful? Things are really bad all around you. I know. And yet God is with us. For for me, where does the peace come from? It comes from the spirit who reminds me, and yet God is with us. Yet God has not abandoned God's creation. Yet God has not abandoned God's people. Yet God has not abandoned even me in my hardship. There is a peace that defies understanding. I don't understand it, but I've, accepted, I've felt it. I've had it. So Paul says, this is where we take our anxieties and our fears. To a God who remains. God does not abandon creation when things get bad. When things get bad, God works even harder to bring all things to God's own self. The peace of knowing that yet, even now, God is with us. And then Paul switched gears again. Again, it's all connected. But Paul kind of switches gears to to explaining and talking about how the people are to conduct themselves in the world around them. He says, first of all, let your gentleness be known to everyone, which is interesting. Seems like a very just sort of out there phrase. But that Paul uses this characterization, this, this way of characterizing the church as gentle. But we recall that Jesus talked to his disciples, right? The, the Gentiles rule by force and by fear. It's not so among you. The kingdom of God is different. The people of God are different. They don't force the agenda, but they know that they're, they're working in concert with God and that God is directing all things. But then he quickly moves on from that idea and he, and he says, finally, my brothers and sisters, and he, and he says, think on these things. And he begins to list off a whole bunch of things that, the, that he wants the Philippians to be thinking about. Whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is just, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, right? Think on these things, he says. Now, I don't know if any of you noticed that in the list that Paul cites there, None of those things are particularly unique to Christianity or following God. Do you notice that? The things that Paul cites would have been noteworthy and admirable and things that every culture around him would have said, these are good things. So so it's not particularly Christian to do this sort of thing. But but I think Paul knows enough about psychology to know that as we think, though, there we go. Now, we can't overcome everything with the power of positive thinking, but we can help change our defaults. 
Of course, Paul will also say that all of these things that he has listed find new meaning in Christ, having the mind of Christ. What is good looks different for those who have the mind of Christ. But Paul says, I want you to think on those things. What is just looks different for those of of us who have the mind of Christ. and, And yet Paul says, I want you to think on those things. Whatever is excellent, it looks a little bit different than when you have the mind of Christ. But Paul says, I want you to think on these things. And again, this, I don't know if this is a grand theological statement that Paul is making here. But I think what he is saying is, guess what? There's a lot of bad in your world. And there's a lot of bad things you could focus on. There's a lot of things you could lose sleep over tonight. There's a lot of horrible stuff around us personally in our very personal lives and in the world around us. And Paul doesn't say ignore those things or, or don't ever address those things. But Paul says, how do we, how do we live in trying to overcome anxiety, allowing the spirit of Christ to rule in us, allowing <coughs> excuse me, the peace of Christ to, to rule in our hearts? We'll, we'll start thinking about things that are good. There's a lot of hell in our world, but guess what? There's a lot of heaven too. And so Paul says, you know, spend a little time thinking on what is good. We will see injustice. There's war in our world, right? There's war in Ukraine. There's war in Gaza right now. People are dying. Innocent people are dying in those wars. Not just the people fighting, but the people who are caught in between. And that's a horrible thing. And guess what? If we spend our entire time focusing on that, it's going to be hard to have peace. And and I think in our world of constant news, where you can tune into the news 24 hours a day, and the news doesn't report, generally speaking, good stuff. It, It reports the bad stuff most often. At least that's where it spends the time. It can make us absolutely sick with worry, with anxiety, with the belief that this world is going to hell in a handcart. That God has abandoned God's creation. That there is nothing good under the sun. We can spend our time doing that. I, I literally have to like monitor my own news intake because of that. It, it's amazing. Like uh, the last presidential cycle, like I stopped watching the news and looking at Twitter for about three months and I felt a lot better about the world. The bad stuff didn't go away. It was still there and I still knew it. But I wasn't focusing on it all the time obsessively. I I would, would bet that if I were to open up my Twitter feed right now, it's not Twitter anymore, it's X. But anyway, if I were to open that up, I would say probably eight out of 10 would be Gaza, Ukraine, politics. Those are three pretty anxiety-producing things if we focus on them too much, yeah? And again, it's not that they're unimportant. And it's not that we should ignore them. But if we spend our time looking for the good, then our hearts will go there as well. If we look for the good, we will see the good. I I recently test drove a, a Toyota RAV4. Just recently. Looking to buy a new car someday soon, right? I see RAV4s everywhere. There's tons of RAV4s in this community. I, I don't know if you know this. 
why do I notice it? Because I was looking for it now. I never noticed how many of those particular cars were in this community, but now I know because I just happen to be focusing on it at the moment. And so Paul reminds us, what are you focusing on? To orient your mind towards the good rather than the evil. Because I don't know about you, I don't need to be reminded of the bad. Most often I need to be reminded of the good. And so Paul says, whatever is good, whatever is holy, all this stuff, as you are formed in the mind of Christ, focus on these things. It'll help change the defaults of our hearts and our minds and orient them towards God or God's vision of justice and truth and goodness and righteousness. So think on these things. It's very wonderful practical advice for us. And then Paul moves on. He says, think on those things and then remember that your life in Christ is not just about theory, it's about practice. So Paul says, whatever you have learned from us, whatever you have seen us do, whatever you have heard, he says, practice these things. I love this idea that the, that the Christian life is not simply theory. And, and, and those of you who, who know me well enough know that I love theory and I will talk about theory and theology all day. I mean, you've heard me sometimes talk about it all day, Right? But I love that Paul reminds us that that the life isn't lived solely in the mind. That those things come into practice. And he once again says, we have examples, right? He says, us, I I presume that means apostles, those those who we we know are leaders, who, who, who do it well. Paul says, what you have seen, right? What you have learned, what you observed, Remember to put those things into practice because all of this means nothing if we don't practice it. And quite frankly, when game time comes, so to speak, when things are really like important and, and at the mat, we will do as we have practiced. You default to your training. Have we practiced these things so that when the world collapses on our heads, where do we turn? To the inward darkness of despair, or to the God who holds us in his hands. It's all connected, folks. This morning, I want to do a little practice, if we can. Paul reminds us that when we have anxieties, that when we have fears and worries, we don't ignore them, And we don't say, oh, they don't exist or everything's fine, really. We take those things and we are encouraged at least first to take them to prayer, to God. To lay them at the feet of the Father who we believe and and proclaim cares deeply and intimately for us. To, To lay them at the feet of the one who has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The one who has said, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear evil, for I am with you. Again, just all those things don't say these evils don't exist and this worry doesn't exist and this problem doesn't exist. It says, I am with you. I hope you took note of the last words of this text. 
the peace of Christ will be with you. In fact, he says, not simply the peace of Christ will be with you, or the God, peace of God. It says the God of peace will be with you. It's a fine distinction, but it's an important one. It's not just God sprinkling some peace on you. The God of peace is with you. Through darkness, through trial, through pain, in joy and in sorrow, the God of peace will be with you. I like that Paul ends by that promise. And so, by way of practice this morning, you might notice we didn't do kind of a family prayer time in our prayer. I'd like to take some time in prayer. Because I suspect if you're like me, you have some anxieties in your life. It, it, it might be Israel and Gaza. It might be Russia and Ukraine. It might be health. It might be finances. It might be all of those things. It, it, it might be anxiety about your own place with God. But Paul reminds us that we have a place to take those. And it's to the feet of the Father, to the foot of the cross. And we are promised that the God of peace will be with us in the midst of those things. So I want to take time to pray together this morning. I, I, I do want to, because Paul says also with Thanksgiving, I, I want to just note of Thanksgiving that um, we've been praying for, for Dan and Bev's son-in-law um, and his kidney donation um, that got canceled a while back. You remember that? Well, it's back on. So thanks be to God, right? Let's see the good. <laughs> Let's focus on that. Even as we continue to pray for Kelly. Let's think about the answer prayers that God has. But, but I want to invite you all this morning to, to take some time with me in prayer. There are two things you could do. You could pray where you are, and that's good, because guess where God meets you? Wherever you are. But I also want to point out that we have places in our church specifically reserved for doing business with God. And those are our altars. It's not a magic place, but it is a holy place. I've said this before. It is a place that we have set aside holy unto God where we can do business with God. Where we can bring our anxieties, our joys, our pains, our fears. And where God has promised to meet us. So if you'd like to come and pray around the altar, I, I want to invite you and make sure you have permission to do that and even encouragement to do that. How I kind of make the distinction in our church, if, if you want to do business and you would love people to gather around you and pray for you, come here. This is the official pray with, pray with me altar. If you'd prefer just one-on-one -on -one to do business with God, don't, don't necessarily want someone to pray with you at the moment, this is the place to come. We, we'll, we'll let you do business. We'll leave you alone here. We'll pray for you, but not with you, right? So if, if you'd like to just kind of pray alone, one-on-one -on -one with God, if you'd like someone to pray with you and for you, physically be in your space over here. Does that make sense? But I want to encourage us today to practice what Paul has encouraged us to do. Are you anxious about anything? You have a place to go.
And that's the feet of the Father, the arms of the one who cares for you. And so as Mark and Chris are singing, um, I encourage you to come or to pray where you are. And we'll take some time, however much we need, to, to just pray, to present our, our anxieties to the God who cares. And then once time has passed, we will pray and we will be dismissed. So would you come and would you pray?